Hi everyone, welcome to the BNA Talks podcast, working our way through Mark's Gospel. We have reached Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to read the first part of that for us. Mark chapter 11, reading from verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which nobody has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Right, so it's not Palm Sunday yet. That's, uh, I think it's April the 10th this year, but it's Palm Sunday in our reading. So this is one of the most famous stories uh, in the Bible. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and it's one involving crowds and scenes and all sorts of stuff, and it is laden with all sorts of imageries. So the first big image um, is that of a coming king, that of a sort of a, a conquering king coming in, and there's a, there's a couple of big images um, around that. Number one is the, the donkey, of a colt who's never been ridden. So um, it's, it's the equivalent would be like if the queen had a car, only the queen can drive her car and nobody else can drive her car. And, and in those days, only a king could ride a king's horse. So the fact that Jesus is riding a colt that nobody else has ever ridden is that kind of, it, there's a kingly aspect to it. The other aspect is in the ancient Near East, you had your war chargers for going to war and you had your donkeys for moving around in. And so if after a battle, a king returned to the city and they weren't on their war horse, but they'd stabled the war horse. It was this kind of declaration of, a, of victory had been won. So Jesus war- comes to Jerusalem and um, portraying himself as a conquering king, as a conquering king. It also picks up an Old Testament prophecy, a messianic prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, see your king coming riding on a donkey. So um, so actually this the first big, the first image of Palm Sunday is Jesus has willingly identified himself as a conquering king and in the train of the Messiah, the one the Jews had hoped for. So don't ever fall for any of the stuff that Jesus didn't really know what he was up to or wasn't aware that we were going to make him divine uh, or all that kind of stuff. Jesus is fully aware of who he is, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah and that he has divinity. So because he keeps appropriating all the time these Old Testament images images and um, prophecies as well as um, fulfilling them. Um, the the fact that they've gone and found the cult as well, and they've said that you know they said uh, he says um, tell people um, what you're doing. Um, a person of significance could take the possessions of another for a task. So whether it was an army coming through a village and taking possessions or whatever, there was kind of part of how that world operated that people of significance can use other people's possessions for a task. So again, that is a kind of statement about who. Jesus is. So I, that just struck me, I said it a minute ago, just how aware, self-aware Jesus is as he enters Jerusalem as to what he's doing and the image he is setting up. Garments spread coronate, um, on the road, coronation of a king. Here comes a new king. 
Um, when Judas Maccabees, now he uh, engineered a revolt a few hundred years before Jesus, uh, in which for a brief period of time the Jewish people um, were free and had their own kingdom. Uh, and when he came into Jerusalem in his revolt, uh, they waved palm branches. So of course it's kind of it's not just like a biblical and Old Testament prophecy and imagery, but it's recent history imagery. So the whole thing is rooted in uh, hope and in freedom and in God's people being God's people in charge. Um, so this is, it's just Palm Sunday. It's like, like one big kind of sensory blast as to who do you think this is? And crucially, who does he think he is? So blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, picking up on Psalm. That's Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And then Jesus goes to the temple courts. And that's, of course, what would have happened in, you know, if you've <coughs> a king, the first place you go to is, is the place of the most significance would be the temple of God. He goes there, he looks around, uh, and then he leaves. And um, the reason he leaves is um, it would have been common in his days for pilgrims to stay outside of the city. Um, and so he's kind of, so he's, also, he's a king and a pilgrim. Um, it's already late. He's gone out with the twelve. Now, who do you think Jesus is and what has he come to do? It's the same question again and again. And that's the thing that the crowd, I think, should have been thinking about. Who is this? Um, we were thinking about how easily, of course, we get swept up in crowds and how easy the crowd gets swept up in this imagery and this excitement. And yet it's also worth reminding ourselves that this is the crowd who are going to declare crucify him in a few days time. Shall we move on? So, reading from verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, so that's where they're staying, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to see if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning they went along and saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they said will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So I've always slightly struggled with this story because I, I feel, I mean, a fig tree doesn't have any feelings, but I always feel for the fig tree because the fig tree is in leaf. It's not the time for it to have fruit. Jesus goes to see that it doesn't have any fruit. And of course, it doesn't have any fruit. Um, but we need to understand imagery and significance. So fig tree often represents the people of God in the Old Testament. So the fig tree, like a vine, is an image of uh, the people of God. And so the fact that it doesn't have any, it's full of leaves but has no fruit is a key theme that plays itself out as we go through not the whole of the gospel, but actually the remainder of the gospel. That here are people who look like they're full of life, look like they're full of doing all the right stuff, but there is no fruit. So the key thing is, just like it, the fig tree's time is not now, people of Israel's time to see who Jesus is may not be now. 
Um, so that's the setup to this text is the people of God are not bearing fruit. This is not the time for them. They reach Jerusalem, they go to the temple courts and we get the famous scene about the driving out of um, those buying and selling there. Now it's Passover. So at Passover the business of um, the temple increased. There were pilgrims, there were lots of people coming up to uh, to do um, tasks in the temple, to worship in the temple. And so where these stalls would have been previously would have been on the Mount of Olives, but for Passover week, because it's good business, they would move them into the outer courts, the courts that have been set aside for the Gentiles. Um, kind of like the pop-up Christmas markets, you know, in the centre of Bath or the centre of Bristol. You know, here's a time where people can, there's going to be a lot more people around, here's an opportunity for us, let's pop up a Christmas market. A lot more pilgrims, let's use the court of the Gentiles, because they won't be coming really to do Passover in the same way, and let's sell all the stuff using our temple coins that we need to, uh, and just make it easier for people to do their religious business, but of course we might make some more money. Now Jesus, interesting enough, is not unique in questioning this. There's literature of the day where people question the rightness of bringing these stalls into the temple and the taking over the temple courts. So, so Jesus steps into what is a live conversation, but notice he takes authority. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? So actually you are desecrating the court of the Gentiles. He's, he acts like he has authority over this temple and over the place of prayer for all nations. Um, that causes a whole load of angst with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And so they are now looking for a way, Mark tells us, to kill him. They are afraid of him because the crowd are amazed. Here's back to the power of the crowd. As they, we've seen the power of the crowd on Palm Sunday go, oh, Hosanna, here he comes. They fear the power of the crowd if harnessed behind Jesus and what it could mean for them. And then they leave. And in the morning, as they went along, so the next day, so in the evening came, they go back out. And in the morning as they come along, Peter sees his fig tree and sees that it's withered. And then a conversation happens which actually is more about faith and prayer than it is about just what's been going on. And, I, um, and it's interesting enough, it's about corporate prayer in terms of um, the language here in the Greek is plural. But it is that sense of that when we come together and we come together in relationship with God, he, in worship and in prayer, he, he changes us and we begin to see the world the way he sees it and we begin to see what's on his heart and we begin to cry out for the things that he longs to see. So when he says, um, it will be, you know, um, believe and what they say will happen will be done for them, it's not like, oh, I want a Ferrari or um, I want the sun to shine all day long, but actually it's calling out for the things that are on God's heart and for where we see God at work. Um, that's why I think it's linked to the, um, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Because actually, in that crucible place of presence, when we come together to worship and pray, we begin to see what's on God's heart. And we also begin to see what's wrong with our heart. And so we begin to cry out for what's on God's heart. And we also begin to lay before him what we know is wrong about us. The work of prayer is impeded by an unforgiving heart. Um, but God leads us to a place where we see that and we repent. And then we also see what he's up to and we lean and we pray. God uses prayer. Again, it's the biggest, one of the biggest mysteries. Uh, you know, I wouldn't use my prayer life, but he chooses to. I wouldn't, you know, and he chooses to use your prayer life. So have faith, he says, and pray. So it's an invitation to pray, an invitation to trust God. So we're traveling through. Jesus has come in. Here comes his king. Here he comes as Messiah. Do we see that? He then 
takes authority over the places where the people of God have been doing things for themselves uh, and that has suited them and not forgot the great big calling. Um, my, my, t- my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's worth us asking as we travel in as, as the church, you know, have, do, we, do we truly get who Jesus is and what it means, the Messiah, the King who we have crowned King of our hearts? And what is the calling on the church? Go and make disciples of all nations. Do we see that and do we follow that? Or do we end up constructing things for our own ends? Verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? So remember, massive thing about authority. He's come in looking like Messiah. He's um, (coughs) challenged what goes on uh, in the temple and used the phrase, my house, prayer of all nations. So he's exercising authority. Uh, Who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why don't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they said to Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So Jesus is operating in that kind of calm place of knowing who he is and and basically living that out with integrity the chief priests at al are operating out of a fear fear of the crowd fear of what jesus could do with the crowd fear of losing their own position at the moment the crowd just seems to be going along with the flow and whatever's easiest um, the invitation to us all in jesus is to is to become like him to operate with a sense of security in who we are in God's love and as a child of God and have integrity about that so that we don't fear like the chief priests, so that we're not easily swayed like the crowd. Um, they're all out for him, though. The chief priests, the teachers are on the elders. The elders are like uh, lay leaders in the temple, so basically everybody's now out for him, so they've come to challenge him. Um, the way that Jesus questioned them back on one level, it's not rude at all. It's just how rabbinic debate would operate. You'd ask a question, and then there'd be a question back, either for clarification or just part of the debate process. Um, uh, Jesus links himself to John, but that's really key, because we know that from the Gospel, that they're linked. Jesus knows they're linked. The, 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 probably the, um, the chief priests, the elders, um, the teachers of the law know they're linked because John said, there's going to one who's going to come after me. So Jesus and John have linked themselves together. Most people are linking them as well. So Jesus says, well, let's start with there. Let's start with my, you know, my forerunner. Um, you know, he, he had a lot to say. Was that of the Lord or was it of human origin? Um, because actually your answer to that will lead you to what you think your answer is around me. And then we get their dilemma because they're so fearful of others. They can't, they don't want to say it's of human origin because they're worried about the crowd but nor do they want to say it's of God because then the question is well why didn't you respond I wonder how often I find myself trapped in that place between not making a decision because whichever decision I make is going to have to lead me down one way or the other it's that famous C.S. Lewis which Bono picks up quote about Jesus as Jesus doesn't allow us to be like oh I don't know about him he's either he's either the son of God or he's an evil madman but he can't be anything he can't be something neutral in the middle because he hasn't given us that option and that's what these guys are faced with they're faced with they have whatever decision they take there's an implication 
but they are so fearful they're unable to do that and in doing but in doing so they don't show fruit and they reject Jesus they are the fig tree of the start of the story so these guys are the fig tree that is mark chapter 11 it's 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 about authority it's about integrity it's about fear and it's about seeing Jesus for who he is and then choosing to follow him or choosing not to and constructing your world around your own needs, your own fears, um, and missing out on who he is. So as we always do at the end of these uh, three questions, the up question, what did I learn about what God is like? What did I learn about what I am like? And what did I need to hear for those that I love and serve? God bless you. We'll hear you, we'll see you, whatever it is we say, for next week, which will be... Mark chapter 12, and there is a lot going on in Mark chapter 12, so I'm quite excited about that one. God bless you.